Welcome back to another episode of Show Up Chicago, where we are going to tell you about events, issues, and groups in the city that you can get involved with and start making a difference today. Are you going to show up? Uh, This week, we are so excited to share with you our interview with Stevie Valles. He's the executive director of Chicago Votes, which is a group that focuses on volunteer-driven democracy that builds power for our generation. Exactly. Chicago Votes is really important. They were a huge... um, mobilizer behind um, automatic voter registration, which is almost passed, but not yet signed by our governor. So not 100%, but hopefully, because it's really cool. Um, They mobilize people and they focus on issues that young people care about. So they develop more leaders and they just focus on making democracy fun. So talking to Stevie was just a blast. He's the most relaxed Mm -hmm. executive director you'll probably ever meet in your life. Oh, yeah. He was just has a lot to say and a lot of opinions and is not afraid to share any of them and shared them with us. So I it was just you like it, it was so motivational. Yeah. It was one of those things where I felt as if I was I was watching the next not not as though he's the next generation, but that's what he works with. He works with kids who are still in high school, who are still very much so in their teenage years, um, getting them excited about democracy and about voting which is something that it's a clear disconnect. The millennial generation is the generation that does not vote in just woeful numbers. And he's working directly to counteract that. It was just super exciting. To yeah. He kind of- shared with us like his ideas about what he wants to do with Chicago votes and his overarching just beliefs and opinions about the main issues facing Chicago and, and how to be an organizer. Exactly. Which is, I found that so interesting is just you can – very much so, which I, I feel like this has just been such a continuous thread through so many of our most recent interviews, that organizing can start with picking up trash on the street in your neighborhood. It can be uh, going to a PTO meeting. It can be, you know, any of these these very, very small community-based things are based in organizing, and that's how you learn how to grow it into larger things, into movements, into groups like Chicago Votes. Before we get to that, let's break it down a little bit about the things that are happening in our country. Maybe if you were sort of wrapped up in the Pokemon Go Festival this weekend, you were just not aware that um, Sean Spicer no longer works for the Trump administration. Yeah, Spicy's out, y'all. Spicy's out. Uh, He submitted his resignation, I believe, on Thursday, Mm -hmm. and it (laughs) slowly started to come out. So he not only resigned, but Donald Trump then asked him to stay on as a personal favor, stay on the team. Obviously, the optics of your press secretary leaving are bad. I think he was, he was also the director of communications, so he was wearing both of those hats, which is a lot of work. And he said no and left anyways. He said bye. Six months. So this, yeah, this is, I mean, every single thing that comes out of this White House, we say, you know, this is huge. This is big news. This really is like, you know, this is a, a pretty big blow for a White House in crisis. And he's now getting replaced by the oh. almost comically named Anthony Scaramucci, mm-hmm. who has absolutely no communication strategy. Is uh, that, he has he, no strat- strategic communication experience. LOL. He has no experience. But he was so one of. It's on trend. Yeah. It's really on brand for every administration. Yeah. But uh, he said five times in the very first briefing, I love the president. You know, I feel kind of bad for Sean Spicer. I know he was just, 
he was so bad at his job but Terrible. he was just like kind of cute up there you know he was like failing but like sweaty a little bit and, like, and, like he flustered. knew he was doing such a bad job it's like i could see like 15 year old sean spicer up there and like giving a speech and just like really trying to picture that the audience is naked but it's not working and he's like <laughs> i just have to say the same sentence over and over and maybe they will leave me alone and it wasn't and you just want to like give him a hug and be like it's okay sean but also he was quite quite terrible at his job yeah i did feel pretty bad for him it was he finally spoke out about the melissa mccarthy character and said he said you know there's there were a lot of funny elements i did laugh a few times but it was pretty (laughs) mean it was pretty mean well it's also like i feel bad because realistically like i mean i'm sure he'll be fine and he'll get another job but how is he gonna get another job after six months of failing in front of the nation yeah so horribly even just with things like numbers his very first press briefing down in history for just one of the most ridiculous, angry, toe-shaped rants. The one where he said the inauguration had the most it was, people. It was the most amount of views on an inauguration. Period. Like, hey, yeah, you're like, it's okay. Why you, you just won. Why are you so mad? Welcome. It's, it's hi. Yeah. Nice so, to meet you. But that's pretty crazy, guys. Yeah. And that's the biggest news story we've got. And so we just wanted to leave it at that. We did. Want to get right all right to the, the Stevie interview. So Exactly. So Stevie's up next. And we know you'll love him as much as we did. So enjoy it, please. I want you to know that I'm grown, that it's fine, that you know love is fine. Lay it down from the start. I work with young people, um, and I try to get them involved in politics. Um, then I expand upon that by, by telling them why that's so important, you know. The millennial generation or people between the ages of 18 and 35, which also includes some of Generation Z now, word to Generation Z, uh, is the largest population in American history. Um, And the last time we had a population that was even close to being this size was the baby boomer population. And if you look at law today, every single law, every single argument that goes on in Congress, the things that are the most important are always catering to the baby boomers. Because when they were our age, they flexed their political muscle big time. You know what I mean? Like Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, like all of these groundbreaking. This was like Vietnam. This was like the first like like really uprising inside the LGBTQ community. There is a lot of like, you know, racial like fights that went on and you know, we're kind of seeing history repeat itself, except for that one pillar of voting, because our generation votes at a very, very, very low rate. So what I do for a living is explain that to young people, explain to young people that we genuinely have more power than everybody else, um, but nothing is being catered to us, and it should be. Um, And I go about doing that in a bunch of different ways. (laughs) what's been your favorite way like the most creative way um the most creative way wow uh creative man i've done some creative shit over the course (laughs) of like my my it's weird calling it a career because i still feel so young but legit it's been a career which is nuts thank god i've had a career um (laughs) I would say one of the more creative, one of the more creative things I d- I've done, or I was involved in, was during the 
Obama campaign. I organized on the Obama campaign in Ohio, and we would go to these karaoke nights in Dayton, Ohio, and <laughs> yeah, I became really good friends with the owner of the restaurant of, of the bar. We would go there every Wednesday night on uh, uh, in Dayton, Ohio, downtown Dayton, Ohio, and we would just sing all night. And in order to get into the bar, the owner was just like, "You got to ch- like, you have to talk to us about voter registration." Like, we didn't say you had to register. We didn't say that like you can't eat if you don't register because that's illegal. But you had to walk by our table in order to walk inside and enjoy the karaoke night. And it was the biggest night in Dayton, Ohio. And it was so much fun. I met Dave Chappelle there. I got to do oh, an Obama wow. impersonation for Dave Chappelle. So that was pretty cool. I also met him again this past year. We smoked a cigarette together, and I don't smoke cigarettes, but if Dave Chappelle offers you a cigarette, I'm yeah, that's an experience. Smoking that, that shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then National Voter Registration Day is really cool and creative and a lot of fun. I didn't come up with that idea, but I had the honor of directing it for two years. There's a lot of different things that people try to do to engage millennials, but part of me, the more and more I'm into, into this stuff, the more and more I feel like our creativity needs to be catered to talking to folks about like legit issues because we're a very, very intelligent generation. And I think you know, the more we try to get gimmicky with our creativity, the more we do an injustice to our generation. You yeah, know what I mean? It kind of feels like they're beyond patronization in mm-hmm. a way mm-hmm. to just be like, no, we can we can understand these things. I just I recently got in an argument with someone about the difference between voter ID laws and what voter suppression is and the fact that they're basically just the same thing and like fundamentally trying to explain that issue was so difficult to yeah. someone who didn't want to hear it. Yeah. What is your response when someone brings that to you saying like well why don't we have voter id laws shouldn't people have proof of who they are in order to vote like why is that why is that not helpful actually i mean i always say why should we you know what i mean like like our democracy is created so more people can have a voice so like why add extra barriers for what you know what i mean like for what it it makes no sense to me um it also is racist. Um, it's classist. It's you know it costs money to get an ID. Uh, it costs you know it varies state to state, city to city, but it still costs money. And I think you know the further and further away the people who make laws are from the people who struggle day in and day out in America, the more and more those laws are not going to be you know helpful to the people who struggle. Um, it's just stupid. Like, I think we just need to simplify it. Just let everybody vote. And I, you know, they, as soon as somebody can justify to me why we need voter ID laws, then we can have that conversation. But nobody can. And I can justify in millions of different ways why we don't need them. Number one, you know, voting fraud is insane. <laughs> it doesn't happen. So It's like point zero zero three. Yeah. Percent of the time. So it's like point zero 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 and zeros yeah. of something. Except for that one woman who voted for Trump twice yeah. in Florida. Yeah. So, like, I don't know, maybe. It's also Florida. It's almost like Trump may have, you know, wrongfully been in office. What? <laughs> Who'd have thought? No. <laughs> for you personally, what are the challenges of getting young people interested in voting? 
or getting them actually both both registered to vote, which I don't know if that's harder or if actually getting them to the ballot is harder. So I'll talk about registration first. You get turned down when you're out on the street asking people to register to vote, and you immediately feel like you lost the race. You know what I mean? Like, you could feel the immediate impact. It's hard to get people to register to vote. Like, our the way our voting system is set up is pretty complicated. Um, and I think acting like it isn't does a disservice. It, it's pretty complicated. Um, it There's different laws that vary from state to state, from city to city. I used to work in Texas. I used to work for... Uh, Wendy Davis, uh, who was the lady who ran for governor of Texas, and I worked in the Texas legislature. It is so hard to register people to vote in Texas. It's crazy how hard it is to register what people to vote. What is the process like? You have to get deputized. You have to go to a training and be told, like, you are now qualified to register somebody what? to vote. Once you do that, mm-hmm. you can only register people to vote in the county that you got deputized in. It's the county and I think actually the zip code, too. Oh, wow. Um, so if I'm in Texas, huge state, and I live in Lubbock, which is super red, West Texas, but I really want to go out and register people to vote who are of color uh, in low-income communities because the voter registration rate is lower in those communities. Not because I'm trying to turn them out to like vote for any given candidate, just because I know that voter registration is low and voter turnout is low and we, I feel like everybody should have a voice in democracy, it is almost impossible. Unless I moved to that city where there are more low-income people and people of color and then got redeputized there, then I'll be eligible just to go register people to vote in Texas. So not only do they set a, a barrier for you to go and vote, not only do they set up barriers for you to go and register to vote, they set up barriers for you to be allowed to go and register somebody else to vote. Um, Illinois is not so bad, uh, but still trying to stop people. Like, think about it. How many times when you're walking down the street do you get stopped by people asking to do stuff, and you're just like, not today. Not today. All the time. It's downtown. Like, yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. It's normally uh, human rights campaign, uh-huh. ACLU, or Planned uh-huh. Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So luckily, when it's those three, I can be like, "Hey guys, already got a membership. Yep. Bye, high five." That's nice. Yes, it's me. never that for me. It's always like some like co- like like orphan coalition you've never heard of. No. I you were that say you say orphan cult. Yeah, for sure, an orphan <laughs> cult as well. And yeah. like, it's always groups that you've never heard of. And I remember one time when people were like, "Oh, will you register all the stuff?" Blah, blah blah. I was like, "Oh, I'd love to donate, but I'm gonna need to do more research because I've literally never heard of you." And it became this whole thing him like really trying to pressure me he gave me his phone number like please like when you decide call me yeah and i'm like okay. i got stopped by one of those go green people not go green what is the thing the home one of those grocery home delivery people oh go f- oh blue apron blue. go fresh go, go fresh. fresh it was go fresh this guy stopped me and i'm sweaty just got off my bike you guys saw how flustered i walked in here i was just like i need my you know my cool down time once i get off, <laughs> off my, once i get off my bike and i'm like hey man i'm gonna be honest with you I support what you're doing. I'm out here on the corners trying to get people to register to vote all the time. And when people don't talk to me, it's demoralizing. I'm going to help you not waste your time. If you're working on commission, I'm not going to do this today. And he was just like, oh, no, it's fine. And continued with this pitch. And I'm just like, Ugh. so it's the same thing when you're registering people to vote. That's what registering people to vote is. Like you're out on these street corners. You're stopping people. You're trying to get them to vote. And... um. It's hard, you know. It's not an easy job. You get people. 
we all have our own political ideology. You know, we all know there's two things you don't talk about on a first date, religion and politics. And we're out. You know, yeah, that's, that's. I would a, text about it before we got there. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's the first thing I say. Like, yeah, so uh, I'm Adventist and I believe in this. What's up with you? Um, no. So like when you're when you're out on these on these street corners and you're trying to stop people like, hey, are you registered to vote? They're like, oh, yeah, we're voting for Trump. It's just like. I don't care. Did you feel the need to scream that at me because I'm black? Right. It just kind of shows you like where our country's at. Just like mm-hmm. the idea that someone trying to register you to vote might probably be a Democrat. Like that's yeah. that's the response. It's, like why is that? Is why is that? The, you, I feel like the general gist of most Democrats are the ones who push voter registration. Yeah, but it's, I also feel like it became a partisan thing. Yeah, I also feel like it's because a lot of whether it's gerrymandering or what have you, there's a lot of Democrats or people who would vote on more progressive uh, candidates who aren't registered to vote. And I just feel like tons of Republicans are already registered. It's like in their blood and they already know. Yeah. And then you have like a lot of disenfranchised communities who don't know as enough, uh, know as much about politics to right. know to like or have the time to right. even like get there and do it and make it happen. And the fact that the fact that the uh, voting is not a national holiday, like when we vote on presidential elections, like that's not like those aren't guaranteed days off of work because the yeah. people who can't take off of work are the people who don't make as much money, who live in poorer neighborhoods, who like aren't going to get the time off in order to go and vote, wait in those lines. Our voting system was built for white male lingo. Mm-hmm. We're, still, we're still functioning off the same voting system that was built for white men who own land, and it still caters to that same demographic. So there it is. You know what I mean? Like, and... Being progressive means getting away from that. Being conservative means stuck in your ways. And, um, you know, that's just kind of been, like, what's been happening in this country for years and years and years and years and years. So to your original point, you know, getting people to register to vote, getting them to understand why it's important to register to vote is also really difficult. Because you, like, you're a stranger to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, say you're walking down the street. Like, I know that voting is important. I know the voting is important. I know registering to vote is important for my own personal beliefs. I don't know what that thing I need to say to you is going to be. You can train voter registration. You can train people to register people to vote as much as you want. But, like, at the end of the day, you got to be able to talk to somebody about something that you can relate to them about. Yeah. And, you know, it's difficult because that's the first step. And then you got to register them to vote. And then I will say this. Once somebody is registered to vote, they are, like, I don't want to just start saying stats that aren't 100% right because <laughs> I'm being recorded. <laughs> but they're, the likelihood that they actually turn out to vote is dramatically increased. Oh, yeah. Dramatically, especially if there's, it's their first time registering to vote. You know what I mean? Well, like, on your little card, it tells you, or the thing, it tells me exactly where to go yeah. and where I'm supposed to be. And I'm like, cool, thanks so much. Yeah. yeah, so it it's it's that's the thing to me is that like it's a really simple process at least in Illinois. Like for me, it's always been really simple, mm-hmm. but I've also been very much so aware of the importance of voting. Like I registered, I re-registered to vote uh, at Lollapalooza a couple years ago because that's I when I to registered to vote the first time. Yeah, I was like when I was in high school. It was, was probably us there doing the easy. I was like boom, boom, and that's then beautiful. like a couple weeks later, I got my card. I was like, I didn't know it was this easy. I thought it was extra complicated. I know. Yeah. I was yeah. like blown away by the fact that I could just register to vote at Lollapalooza and then like take a horrifying wheat grass shot and be like, yeah. that's just something I did. That's then, very cool. That was so easy. It's also like in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I spent three hundred dollars on that. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, it's just like, <laughs> not like I just have like $300 to throw around all the time, but also like a lot of people don't have $300 to pay for Lollapalooza. And so, I don't know, different socioeconomic issues will yeah. stem and allow you to understand various educational issues that allows you to understand the importance of voting. Apathy um, is yeah. a real thing. Yeah. Like, systems in America, systems in the world, a lot of times that seem complicated aren't. Um, but they, they're they made to seem complicated because there are certain powers that be that want it to seem complicated. They want it, you to seem jaded. They want you your eyes to gloss over. They want you to just change your mind about doing something. And in reality, you register, find out when election day is, and you go vote. Or thanks to uh, Chicago Votes and some of the work that we've done, you can register online. You can yeah. register and vote on the same day. You can, you know, go an early vote now. You and now oh, once bless go, you for that one. Once Governor Rauner signs automatic voter registration starting in twenty twenty, you won't even have to register anymore. Once you go into the government office to do anything, you are automatically eligible to go cast a ballot and vote. And like Think about it. The barrier that I just sat here rambling on and on about that's so difficult. Like, one of those barriers are going to be gone. And that's super exciting. Super exciting. It allows us to go focus on more pressing issues. What do you want to tackle next? There's a bunch of things, you know. Uh, there are a bunch of issues. Me being a new executive director, my mind goes in a million different places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should do this, 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 this. I also have a board. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I also have staff. And I, like, you know, I want to trust their input. Um, I think economic justice is a very serious thing, um, especially in the city of Chicago. I was at a, uh, I was at the Chicago Urban League, and I got the opportunity to finally meet and have a conversation with Kim Fox and like listen to her sit on a panel. Um, she's a remarkable woman. Uh, I look up to her, um, and I would love to be her one day. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the things that she said to me that really stuck out is the things that Chicago's facing, primarily on the south and west sides of the city, are not racial issues, they're economic issues. Mm -hmm. uh, the south and west sides of Chicago are ran by illegal economies, um, guns, um, and drugs. Um, and the people who are really benefiting off of that are not the people who are getting shot over it. Uh, they're not the people who are the face of these horrible things. Um, it's people who have a little bit of uh, melanin in their skin, and that's not fair. Uh, so I think we should just call it what it is. Um, it's an economic issue, and we need to focus on setting up ways to invest in these communities that make them flourishing communities like they once were. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, without gentrification without gentrification yeah. just move jobs there give people more resources and yeah, the give them will be the, yeah, just the ability yeah. to get there <laughs> stop throwing band-aids on it yeah. that's what that's yeah. what you've seen that's happen city to city across this entire country when there's a blemish you build a high-rise and then you build a high-rise then you build a whole foods then you build a high-rise and a whole foods and then the then the hipsters move in and then once they move in all those black brown people are in the suburbs and, you know, no, then people are no longer in the city that they love. No, People are no longer in the communities that they've grown up in. The schools get shut down and get privatized. It's an ongoing cycle, and it starts with economic justice. So one of the things that we're hoping to take on is economic justice. You know, I think 
you know, there's also more stuff to do around voting rights. There's the implementation of automatic voter registration. Make sure it's implemented in mm -hmm. a way that is not uh, disenfranchising. Uh, we have a redistricting battle coming up uh, across the country, specifically here in Illinois, that needs to be uh, proportionally representative of the people who are um, in this city. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other things that need to happen. There is... There's uh there's more progressive voting rights that we could take on. You know what I mean? I would love to do away with voter registration, period. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just you automatically, I mean? if you're over 18, you yeah, can vote. Yeah, you could just go vote. Which it, it blows my mind that that's just even not a thing in America when we're just like, we walk around the world like this is our democracy. <laughs> because We have such an important voice, and that's just literally not the case. Because it was built for white male mm -hmm. landowners. Mm -hmm. It's still the same shit. Like, we, we've been battling for hundreds and hundreds make our democracy representative of the, the people who live in this country because, believe it or not, white men are not the only ones who live in this country. You wouldn't know by looking at our governor. Yeah, by looking at our president. Word to Obama. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, he'll probably be in and out of Illinois a whole bunch fighting for uh, redistricting. So. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, there's a lot of things on the forefront for Chicago Vote. Like, we are – transitioning into a place where we're going to take on more issue campaigns. We're going to, like, try to be more creative. We want to start engaging different communities across the entire city and talk about the issues that impact them. Uh, we can't do any of that without the resources. Um, and national funders like to invest in battleground states. Um, when all of the neighboring states of Illinois, who used to want to be so deep blue, are now turning red. Uh, and we have a... Republican governor who didn't pass a budget for three years, who's about to run for governor again, who's going to be in the most expensive gubernatorial race in American history. Um, all the Midwestern states are turning red, but national funders still don't want to invest because, I don't know, like people are dying on the streets of Chicago. Illinois is at risk of becoming a red state but people are still not investing in the work that Chicago Vote, ICER, Mikvah Challenge, and all of these other local like organizing groups are doing to make sure that um, we are giving people power. Mm. A lot of people aren't investing, and it do makes it hard. Do you think that's sort of because there's this idea in Chicago that – or there's, a, there's an idea, if you're outside of Chicago, that Chicago's sort of a lost cause? That there's hmm. this idea that what's the point of investing? It is what it is. Just let them sort of attack each other, and it's not a Figure problem. I, I don't think anyone will explicitly say that. Hmm. Um, I don't think people consciously think that. I think that's in a lot of people's subconscious. Though. I think so, too. Uh, because you look at Chicago, what's interesting is, like, when you think of politics, when you think of politics on a national standpoint, you don't think of the fact that people are dying on the streets of Chicago. You think about Ohio. You think about Florida. You think about, like, these sling states that are super important because they have more electoral college votes. You know, that's what people think about. You know, I don't – they don't look – they don't think about, like, the humanitarian issues that are happening in communities across this country who really need help and how those are political issues. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. because a lot of people who are – making these decisions on the national landscape aren't from Chicago. At you feel all. me? Nope. Like, some of them are, but, like, you know, as long as they say on camera 
this is sad. We need to do something to help it. Then they're good. Or they, just tweet out like thoughts and prayers. Or yeah, anything. like they've checked their box. But like, are you gonna come here? Like, are you gonna help? Are you gonna invest? I guess a broader question I have for you is: You've done a lot of work in grassroots organizing, obviously, and voting, mm -hmm. and especially like everything. It seems like that you've kind of done in your very short career has, <laughs> uh, like you said before, re uh, revolved around young people and your youth, and like you're really sort of motivating to get them involved. Yeah. Uh, why do you care so much on a broader scheme about all the work that you do? Do you know what I mean? Like why? Like what? Where does that come from? Where's the origin of that, that that deep passion that you have? Um, I'm gonna give you the like the real answer, which I've been trying to give people more and more these days. One of the first things you learn when you become an organizer is how to tell your personal story. Um, I suck at telling personal stories, so I'm just gonna tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> I grew up in, I grew up. My mom is a teacher's aide. Um, she's a college dropout. She was. Uh, she was sexually molested when she was in college and dropped out of school because she just couldn't take it anymore. It was traumatizing. Um, my dad's a pastor. My dad is a uh, is a black Puerto Rican pastor who uh, was adopted by a black family, raised by a black family in a poor white community in Springfield, Ohio. Oh my gosh! So what a contrast. Yeah, and my mom and my dad met at a week of prayer. And they got married. Um, so I was raised uh, with a lot of different perspectives coming at me growing up. Um, everybody in our household was trying to figure ourselves out. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, they also, my parents also had me really young. Um, and we, I grew up in Cincinnati. Um, and lack of better terms, we grew up in the hood. Uh, and we were political activists from the jump. We just didn't know it. You know oh. what I mean? I never, I never thought that politics would be a route for me until post-college. But oh, wow. I started doing political activism when I was like eight. Um, what did that mean for you? Like, how did that show itself at eight years old? Uh, this kid was shot by the cops. His name was Timothy Thomas. Um, he was shot by the cops. He was 13. He was running from them because uh, he had a misdemeanor. You know, you, you don't know no better. Like, if a cop's telling you to stop and you know you got a misdemeanor at 13 you're like oh shit like i better get out of here because like i don't know what a misdemeanor is i don't know what that's going to result in he was pulling up his pants got shot he died the city rioted just completely went up in this huge uprising because we knew that was fucked up you know what i mean and once that happened what you saw it in the news i immediately started realizing how common that was in the city of cincinnati uh we had a curfew in certain communities across the city um, where you have to be inside your house by 8 p.m. Um, and, you know, like my my mom, my dad, like me, I was like, this don't seem right. So, like, our whole, my whole childhood was, like, we were fighting against stuff like that. That's political activism. I ain't know. I just knew, like, it was messed up, and, like, we were mad. You know what I mean? We were mad. Like, this is grimy. Like, you can't just gun people down. That's wrong. So that was kind of, like, my childhood. My dad was always out leading marches outside of his church. His church was in the worst neighborhood in Cincinnati. Uh, and I ended up going off to college to an HBCU in Huntsville, Alabama. I went to a black college in Alabama. The college used to be a plantation, by the way. Oh, which is fitting. Yeah, that was wow. super dope. Like, <laughs> like, where you oppressed us, we're learning. Um, 
and we're going to make the world better. So I went to a school, Oakwood University, it was an HBCU in Huntsville, Alabama, and I went there and got a social work degree um, just because I had this vague idea of, like, I wanted to help people. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I had the opportunity to work at the Department of Human Resources where I helped kids transition out of the care of the state into an independent living program. And you were emancipated out of the care of the state at 17, uh, but you weren't considered a legal adult until you were 19. So you had this two-year gap where you're asking kids to be adults when they're not legal adults. And I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. And I realized it was a policy issue. And I was like, huh. I was like, policy. I was like, this impacts a lot of different things. Like, <laughs> And you start looking at all of this different stuff. This policy does this, does this, does this. This is why this is being taught in school. This policy does this, does this, does this, does this. This is why the police get away with this. This policy does this, does this, does this, does this. This is why it's so hard to mm -hmm. register to vote. And I started putting the pieces of the puzzle together. The problem was uh, I found this out my senior year in college and had no political experience. So I went back home to Cleveland. Uh, my parents had moved from Cincinnati up to Cleveland. I went to Cleveland, and I was working on an assembly line, just welding plastic together fresh out of college. Uh, just doing the millennial thing. Um, and, like, you know, I can't, like, I didn't have the option. Like, my friends were like, yeah, I'm going to take a year off. Like, I didn't have that option. My family was broke. Like, my dad's a pastor. Don't get paid. Uh, my dad's like, like, T.D. Jakes has it made. My dad ain't no T.D. Jakes. You know what I mean? Like, we were driving 93 Camrys. Uh, my mom's a teacher's aide. I have four younger siblings. Um, so I'm the, so I became the third parent. Like I've always been the third parent in my house. So I had to go home and immediately I had to work. My first job was at a Republican think tank by the name of the American Action Forum in Washington D.C. It was eye opening. Really? Um, I wouldn't change it for the world. I I love talking to Republicans. I don't even argue with them. I just listen because mm. it's just interesting to hear the world from their perspective because their perspective actually makes sense to them because they're so far away yeah. from the world that really goes on. You know what I mean? They're in this bubble. Uh, we're all in our own little bubbles unless you're progressive. Part of being progressive is getting out of your bubble and progressing. Um, and they hired me because they needed diversity, and I took it. Yeah. I took that <laughs> I took that, and I leveraged that to get a job on the Obama campaign. Um, and so with that being in my background, putting all these pieces of the puzzle together, like politics wasn't a career that I sought after. It kind of sought after me. Mm -hmm. Like I did the Obama campaign. I worked on a housing is uh, issue campaign for affordable housing in Austin, Texas. I worked in the United States Senate for Patty Murray. I worked for Wendy Davis as her North Texas political director. I worked in the Texas legislature. Then I worked for the Bus Federation, a.k.a. the Alliance for Youth Action. Um, and now I'm here at Chicago Votes, and that all happened within the span of, like, the last five years. What a life. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a story. One question I did want to, I wanted to ask you, because it's a trend that I've noticed, like, going to these meetings or just listening to people talk about, like, the, it's twofold. It's you see a lot of people who want to get involved, who mm -hmm. want to be active, and they might, you know, go to a meeting every now and then. They might sign a survey or petition every once in a while, but a lot of these, like, groups that I've gone to or talked to have, said that the trouble and the the real challenge that they're having is getting these people to continuously come back and right, be willing yeah. to put in the work. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I totally want to help, but only on Tuesdays in April. That's it. And I'm done working. Mm -hmm. And it's so, 
do you guys have that issue in Chicago votes or do you think like I guess I kind of get why it happens but what can what can you do to counteract that mentality is there any like method of accountability that you um found? one of the things I learned in organizing very early on is if somebody tells you that they're going to show up to something tell them to bring something so they know that we're relying on them and if they don't show up, they're letting more people down than just themselves. So um, that's a good tactic. Uh, that's a good organizing tactic. But it's also just a good practice in general. You know what I mean? Like at Chicago Votes, you come here because you believe that you want to advocate for the rights of the LGBTQ community. Great. What do you think we should do? That's a smart idea. Can you start that? Awesome. We can't pay you yet but we'll try our best and like please keep coming back we need like we need you to run this otherwise like these things that you're advocating for they're not going to happen mm-hmm. um and when you have that energy like everybody wants to be at a party right like the more people you get in a room the more likely it is that they're going to keep coming back cuz it's a party yeah. um and that's another organizing tactic i've learned that's what joanna <laughs> taught us yeah <laughs> yeah she threw a party and she got people involved yeah. And even if you don't have a lot of people, make it sound like there is. Yeah. <laughs> then make him bring a friend. Make him bring a friend and a dish because <laughs> <laughs> we need you to bring the food. Otherwise, kind of, you're letting all of us down. Uh, after the election, Taylor and I were Facebook messaging. She was just like, "What? Tell me whatever meeting you're going to go to." And then we went to a meeting with a with the local Chicago North Side group. We were the only people there. Yeah. <laughs> we we're the only people who showed up. And uh, then from there, I was like, "You want to do a podcast? You wanna do that? Yeah. See, and it and it was birthed yeah, you know what i mean it happened and like you know and like just just try things out try different tactics do you like organizing i love organizing yeah yeah is that like Even the, when it's what hard. you want to keep doing like is that like five ten years down the road is that what so, you still see yourself doing so now? what do you it depends on which how you define organizing that's a good point um like still doing uh political organizations yeah. but or do you want to end up more like running campaigns like big things Yes, so like national level yeah. things. So I still look at that at org- as organizing in mm. some capacity. I think there's this misconception around organizing that organizing means you have to, you have to, <laughs> like when I picture an organizer in my head, I picture a chain smoking, coffee drinking, no sleeping, knocking on doors, driving from one side of the state to the other, voter registration gathering, killing themselves person who, like, this is their life. Do I want to do that forever? No. Have I done it? Fuck yeah, and I loved (laughs) it. You know what I mean? But it's a burnout job. And I think it's hard to convince people to organize if that's what we keep portraying it as. You know what I mean? Exactly. I consider myself an organizer now um, because politics is organizing. you got to organize people behind uh, a shared belief, no matter how high you go. If you're running for office, Barack Obama was a community organizer. When he was a president, he organized a nation around the belief of hope, around like the little sliver of an idea that this could help us break down these racial barriers. So yeah, in that context, I want to be an organizer for the rest of my life. Love on my mind, just running through time, ain't enough to get by. That is our episode with Steve.
Evie Baez, the executive director of Chicago Votes. You can find our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. But if you want more information about our guests and the work they're doing, head to our Facebook page or our website, showupchicago.org. And follow our Twitter at showupshypod. That is showup, C-H-I-P-O-D. A big thank you goes out to Copano for allowing us to feature her music, Joanna Klonsky for being a mover and a shaker, our producer Kyle McLevy, and every one of you who strive to make the world a better place. Next week, we'll be talking with Angelica D'Souza, the Cook County State Attorney's LGBT and hate crime victim witness specialist. We explore the rise of hate crimes in the country, the work it takes to protect victims, and what it's like to dedicate your life advocating for human rights. As always, thank you for listening, and until next week, we hope you show up, Chicago. So, Darcy, feel good when I let you know, be fine.